On this week's episode of 90 Degrees, we talk to an OG in the sports betting media space, and he goes on an epic rant about the state of the industry. That and more on today's episode of 90 Degrees. Welcome to the 90 Degrees podcast, where we take an inside look into the sports betting industry. I'm your host, G-Stack George, and I'm excited because today I got a guest that I've been watching for a very long time, right when I was in my formidable early uh, teens, early 20s, uh, a guy who used to give betting picks and I was betting them illegally uh, with any bookie I can find, Gabe Morenci, host at SportsGrid, legend in the sports betting media space. Gabe, thanks for doing this. Hey, glad to be here. Let's do this. And I got to tell you, I'm lucky that I haven't been sued like in the Me Too movement by people that got into sports betting because of me. And I've literally had thousands of people come up to me. I started betting on sports because I watched you on the Score Television Network and I would follow all your picks. And I was thinking, man, this is why this guy's eating in a Burger King right now at two in the morning. And I was just thinking of all the people that I sent down this path of this life uh, that we live, but uh, we've been doing it a long time and um, it's good to be here. Let's go. Let's rock and roll. You uh, corrupted many impressionable youth in Toronto. I have a buddy in a group chat and Gabe, I swear to God uh, for the last year and I got to give him credit. He watches everything I do gives, he, he shows such love and he always says to me, when are you going to get Gabe on? When are you going to get Gabe on? So Damien, uh, I got your buddy on the guy. He tells me, Gabe, he tells me how you're doing in Circa Millions, how you won a quarterly prize. This guy loves you. Uh, I appreciate that. What's up? What's up, Dame? <laughs> I want to ask you, you've been doing this a long time. You're an OG. What was your first introduction to sports betting? Um, I was always a sports fan. I grew up in a somewhat of a half my family was really into sports and uh, the other half of my family was really into music. So it sort of created who I was, but I started betting on sports in uh, 1981. So I guess I was in like grade six type of deal. So it was like the year before high school, I was like 11 years old and I was sitting in class and it's one of those things you don't forget. I was sitting in class and somebody I wasn't like good friends with or anything like that, but he just, he handed me like this card and he goes, yo, dude, he goes, I know you're a big sports fan. And he goes, uh, my brother, my brother has these cards. I think he would like this. And I'm like, what's this? And he shows it to me. And it was the, uh, the old school parlay cards. So it was basically like a piece of cardboard, you know, and it had all the games listed with the point spreads. And you had to pick three games though. You had to go three and O to win. And it was five to one, the old school. Yeah. It's five bucks. And if you, if you're right, you get 25 bucks. And if you bet 10, you get 50. And uh, so I was 11 years old. And I said, so if I give you $5 and I, I win three games, I'm going to get $25 back on Monday when I come back to school. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, that's great. So I took it and the rest is history. And I was corrupted at a young age too, because it's one of these things that it's a long time ago. Like this is literally like 40, yeah, it'd be over 40 years ago. I literally remember I used to go, I don't want to get too personal when, you know, where I lived and this and that and stuff, but I wasn't, um, I used to go to my grandparents. My grandfather played hockey, was a referee and stuff. And so he was sort of like my sports buddy. So I used to go to my grandparents every Sunday to watch the NFL games. And I remember, man, I was like 11 years old 
And my grandmother, I was spoiled. My grandmother would like cook all this food and all this. And she said, you're just not the same today. What's wrong? And you know what was wrong? The kid didn't show up on the Friday that day. I didn't have a parlay card. And I learned as like 11, 12 year old, the NFL is just not the same when you don't have money on it. And like the next week I told him, you got to tell me when you're not coming to school, huh? You got it. And then I just went right to it. Where do I get these cards? Introduce me to your brother. Even as a kid, I was like, who's your brother anyways? Introduce me. Cause I don't want to get caught off guard ever again like that. And basically every Sunday since 1981, after that day that I got screwed over and didn't get any bets in, <laughs> I had bet on the NFL every Sunday. And true story, I even remember like the old rotary phone. I remember standing in my grandmother's kitchen, like calling this dude over and over and over. Like, and there would be like no answer. And I was thinking, man, this just, you know, it's not the same without any money on it. And it really, it is true. There is a moment like when, even if you're a diehard sports fan, the first time you put money on it, it changes the way you watch sports for the rest of your life. Uh, before you got into sports media, like you, you, you alluded to it. You, you were in the music scene. You played hockey. Um, what was your life before you decided to work in sports media? Pretty crazy, uh, to be honest. I lived a pretty crazy life. Um, I was, uh, you know, it's interesting. I grew up, I grew up like in a torn sort of a uh, torn family. So my parents got divorced early, and they were from like two completely different worlds. My father was like a, a rock band manager, sort of musician, hustler type of dude. Um, he toured with Jimi Hendrix and the Young Ones and and like Eric Clapton and the Yardbirds and all that in the 60s. So he was like a musician, rock type guy. And and my mother was like a hippie, right? So they met, you know, went to Woodstock and all that type of stuff. And I even went to Woodstock with my mother in 1994. It came full circle. But my grandfather was like a straight-laced dude. He played for Team Canada in the Olympics. Uh, he played for the Montreal Canadiens, the Montreal Royals. Uh, he was a linesman in the National Hockey League. Uh, you know, so I and my uncle played with Wayne Gretzky and the Oilers. So I had a lot of like hockey. I grew up in a hockey family. You know, I lived sort of hockey, and then I'd go back into the city and live a crazy life and get into trouble. And um, so I was always into sports, and I did play hockey. I wasn't going to make it to the National Hockey League. I did get invited to the uh, Drummondville Voltageurs camp. So I was like junior level type of deal. But I was from Montreal. So being from Montreal is like playing like high school football in Florida or something, bro. You know what I'm saying? There's different levels to this stuff. And yeah, I was good. Like we won our leagues and we, you know, closer. I went to the city finals. We made it to the final four. But I'm talking about like, playing against like Marty Brodeur and Roberto Luongo and you know, like all every goalie in that era is all from Montreal and Quebec. So I sort of caught on. I was like, man, I'm not as good as Martin Brodeur is. <laughs> like I'm seeing these dudes. I'm like seeing some of these kids. I'm like, man, that kid from St. Leonard, that, that Luongo guy. Oh my God, he's good. So it's all these kids are really, really good. And as I stated, I was living in the suburbs. And when I moved back into the city, I didn't live in a good neighborhood. And, you know, it sort of started to corrupt me a little bit, like all teenagers and then sports. It was a tug of war with sports. But then basically uh, I was in bands too. So I had a passion for music and um, I could have played NCAA hockey. My grandfather was very upset that I didn't play professional hockey. So he wanted me to move to England. I got a, I could have played in England. 
And uh, I was like, I'm not moving to England. I'm like 17 years old. And like he said, you're going to make it with base. I was being told you're going to make $19,000 a year. You're, they're going to pay for where you're going to live and you're going to like it. <laughs> I was one of, one of those what deals. What kind of league is out in England? I didn't even know there's a hockey scene out there. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's hockey everywhere, bro. There's there's hockey everywhere. Um, yeah. England's not as good as like, you know, the Finlands and the Swedens and stuff like that. But sure, you know sure. what it was? Because my grandfather played for the Wembley Monarchs. He played for the Wembley Monarchs in like uh, um, in the 40s. He wanted to push you that way. He was stationed during the war and stuff. Yeah. So he ended up playing. All the Canadian dudes played hockey in England, like in uh, during the, 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 war, the war days when they were stationed in England. They all were like, hey, let's just play for this English team. So these English, like, dude, people don't realize this to get off track, but England actually won the 1936 gold medal in the ice hockey Olympics. It, okay. Because it was all Canadian dudes married to, to British girls. Your your grandfather wants to push you into hockey. Your your father's in the rock concert scene and, and tours. You didn't want to follow that that pathway. You didn't want to be in the music scene. No, I did. I moved to Hollywood. I ended up. I was at a punk rock band. It was pretty successful, actually, and uh, it was pretty pretty supportive. Like my parents were cool. Like how many people? How many parents? I went up to them, and um, the day I legally could quit high school at sixteen, I basically did. Like I told him, I said, listen, I quit high school today and I'm going on tour with my band and we're opening up for this band called DRI and it's a really big deal and it's going to be super cool. And I said, follow your dream. So I did it. I went on tour for a couple of years with these like punk rock bands and I played with all, like it was a real early punk scene, SNFU, Dayglow Abortions, DRI, Corrosion of Conformity. Uh, I could go on. So it was like real, the, the punk scene, it was real a lot of fun. It was a great time. But then I moved to Hollywood uh, and I was in like rock bands in LA and I went to school in LA, but I was betting on sports the whole time, right? So I was always betting on sports and I was in the music business from like 1985 to, to 2000 essentially. And it got to the point where I was like listening and watching talk shows and I just thought, man, Everyone would tell me all the time, you know more than these do than these people do. They're like, man, I was watching or I was listening and it would happen all the time. And I would listen to like these radio shows that would have like trivia questions and they'd give away stuff. And it was like taking money from like, you know what I mean? <laughs> it was like, it was like robbing a bank. I would just call in. I'd be like, man, you're all so stupid. It's this. The answer is like Vinny Testaverde. All right. Like it's not hard guys. Gino Toretta. Okay. Not hard. So boom, 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 boom. And then, you know, I realized I don't want to get too into it, but, you know, we had a couple of guys die in our band. We went through a lot of stuff. We had a lot of stuff happened over the years and I was 30 years old and we'll get to the gist of it. Basically, the guitarist of my band was having sex next to a very like, you know, it wasn't pretty to watch like in front of us, like in a van, like that stuff happens in bands. So we're on like a bus and, I was like, I looked over, I'm like, man, I can't do this anymore. Like, it's just, this like not worth it. Like, yeah, I'm making like a hundred bucks a night if I'm lucky on the road, 200 night stuff. I'm like, I just, I can't do this anymore. And I decided I was 30 years old, which I thought was late 29, 30. And I say, you know what? I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to get into the sports media business. And I didn't really know how or what what I was going to do, but I was like, you know, I should be in sports somehow. I'm going to get, I'm going to go back to the sports world. And, uh, the rest is history. 
I basically bought my airtime on like a community radio station that you weren't allowed to talk English on until midnight. And uh, we did that show and boom, it just took off after that. Hey, I want to talk to you about Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to betters in Ontario. Find out what professionals have known for the last 25 years. 25 years of competitive odds, your trusted sports book, Bet Smart, Bet Pinnacle, must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly, not available in the U.S. Now back to the show. I actually wanted to tell you a sidebar story. Um, when I was in broadcasting school, like they want you to interview everybody, uh, you know, local uh, newsmaker in college, just anybody to get some experience. So they send me out to a festival uh, and I'm not I'm not a fan of rock music to interview this like discreet band that I've never heard of. And I'm like, I, I interview him. I have no idea. I'm asking generic questions. I don't know anything about broadcasting chops. Gabe, I found out eight years later, they were actually a pretty good band called The Glorious Sons. Uh, and I interviewed them thinking these guys are absolute nobodies. Uh, and I have no clue who they are. That's my long-winded way of saying, like, it took me a while to learn the skills of being a broadcaster. You've got an outrageous personality. Did you take any, like, formal learning, any classes to learn? Or are you just fire the mic up and I'm just going to be myself? Because you got to... No, a I did. I did actually, I went to, I saw the back of the newspaper. It was like one of those deals. It's like the back of the newspaper. And it was like a little ad. It said the Montreal radio and television school. Mm. I was like, well, what's this? So I look and it was a um, Robert Vira, who I'm a big fan of. So basically he was like a long time, one of those like long time local reporters that seen it all, like did the crime scenes and that scene. So he's like a worn out dude that just had a school and I went in there and I was like, you know, I think I'm too old for this. There's I'm like, you know, everyone's like, you know, 18, 19 this, all this stuff. And he goes, no, you actually have experience, right? You know, in life and stuff. And he said, you got a great personality and character. And I went through all that stuff as well, right? And a lot of people don't know stuff. Like, you'd be surprised. These kids now, you know, cut up tape, go this, do that, right? Learn, yeah. learn the, the, the trade and everything. But it was pretty cool. We just, you know, we just sort of, it was just natural for us. And we were the only student ever in the history of his school that he paid me after to advertise mm -hmm. on my show <laughs> to get more students. So that's what I knew. I knew I was doing something right uh, early. But yeah, we went through the crash course stuff and I sort of got sort of the formatics of things. It's like anything, right? Like if you want to be an actor, you have to know where to stand. Well, you're standing, you know, you're standing in front of the light, jackass. There's sort of like little things and radio formatics. People don't know, you know, to be honest, people really don't know what they're doing. There's just sort of, yeah, it's, it's a wild West type of deal right now. But yeah, I went through that old school with the old school radio host and, and TV guys that were really angry at the world. And it did help me uh, without a doubt. All right. Let's talk about first time I discover you is with the score and for those people that don't know, like the score was early 2000s. It honestly was revolutionary. When you think about where sports betting media is now, you guys were there 20 years ago. Tickers everywhere, live lines, what should you bet, fire off some action. How do you get into the score? How does that come about? And not to mention, too, what what uh, what we wore as well, what I wore. At, the, at that time, I don't think there was anybody anybody that would do a show and there was a lot of pushback there was like you know what i mean 
you know, oh, the yeah. suit guys, the guys that like run the sports nets of the world now. And, you know, the same great, you know, all these dudes, they're like, well, it's just not credible if you're not wearing a suit. You can't have, you can't just be wearing a jersey because you look, you just look like a sports fan. Yeah. And I said, yeah, but I am a sports fan and I'm talking to sports fans. And I said to them, do you guys really think that everybody watching us right now is sitting at home in a suit? I said, do you think who like, did, did, did they relate to that? And they were like, it was sort of this thing. And fortunately, the owner of the score, John Levy at the time said, let him dress the way he effing wants. All right. Yeah. Like this is, you know, let him, let him, let him do his thing. But, you know, shout out to Richard Garner for hardcore sports radio, to creation and John Levy to score or ended up like cashing in large, obviously after when it was all said and done to have that. And if you think about it, like the score was the only network, like we had point spreads up on the screen. Yeah, it was right. wild. The uh, the scrolling ticker because at that time in Canadian sports media, it was there was TSN and there was Sportsnet, and they were very corporate style, traditional ESPN model. Yeah, now those networks wouldn't exist unless they kissed ass to all these sports books and the same jackasses. I'll just cut to the chase. The same clowns. I see you clowns. The same clowns that used to be oh, Marenzi, oh, he's just a gambling guy. Oh, the point spread. Oh, oh, oh or this. Now all you weasels, can I swear on this show? Yeah, go for it. All you fucking weasels now are pipping, and here's the FanDuel line of the night, and you couldn't pick a fucking point spread like you could pick your fucking nose, yet now you're all out here sports gambling. Oh, do you think he's going to have over under eight and a half yards? It's funny because a couple of years ago, you wouldn't be caught dead talking about that. Let's just be real. See Hockey Night in Canada cutting in. Hey, Cobby, what do you got now for the, the, you know, yeah, I'm sure Ron McLean's really happy he has to do that. So I find it funny that they went from looking down at everybody in the gaming world to now having to kiss the fucking gaming world's ass for your fucking jobs. That's it. I wanted to get that off my chest. The NFL (laughs) did too. The NFL uh, were on a pedestal and on their high and mighty horse eight years ago about how betting can corrupt the sport. And now they're like... Super Bowls in Vegas this year. (laughs) Wrapping their arms around it. I want to talk about some guys you work with. Um, First of all, you had a producer, Rob Pozzola, who is... Uh, the the man in charge at the Hammer Betting Network, which this podcast is a part of. Uh, I've interviewed Cam Stewart before, uh, one of your uh, riding mates. Did you know these guys before? Because I swear your your chemistry was unreal on, on air. No, no, I never met. Uh, I met Cam on the air, actually. Uh, we were from different cities. We were brought in uh, to, to the score television network at... Yeah, after a couple of years, you know, you get you start to get that chemistry. I don't look back too much on shows and watch like where it was and and whatnot. I don't really live in the past too much with this stuff, but um, we did. Me and Cam do have a great uh, chemistry because he's real, and you know that's sort of what we set the theme was. If you look at the most popular shows now or the most popular networks, like let's start off with my boy Pat McAfee. It's authentic, right? He's where he's not dressed up. They're just, it's a bunch of dudes talking about sports, right? There's a lot of people watching, but it's authentic. Um, you look at Barstool, same thing, right? It's, they're, they're being themselves for better or worse, right? You, you know what I'm saying? It's not everybody's thing, but it's real. And, you know, I think people see, people can cut through the crap now. In the old days, it used to be a little bit of big phony TV world and all this type of stuff, but 
what you wear now doesn't matter. It's all about the content and it's, you know, be yourself essentially. And Cam is good at being himself. He's a likable guy. So it's been a lot of fun working with him uh, over the years. But no, we did not know him before. I uh, did not know him before uh, we started working together at uh, at the score and hardcore sports radio. The easiest way to improve as a sports better is use multiple sports books and always get the best odds. We recommend using an odds comparison tool like Betstamp. Betstamp compares odds across every sports book for games, futures, and player props. Save time and money by checking Betstamp before you bet. Download the app today. If you're looking to sign up for a new sports book account, please check out the offers available at betstamp.app forward slash circles off or hit the link in the description. If you sign up through this page, it helps support the show. Now back to the episode. You know, for those that don't know, like I started off in radio and radio's immediate, like we react to callers in the moment. I also uh, visited some TV sets at, at times. I I went to some, this was while I was part of broadcasting school. I went to like some sort of like cooking show, but also Strombo show. And you know what they do to coach up the audience? Like they record you five or six different applauses before the show even starts. And they, they like cut it all in and, and, and mashed it all in with Strombo show. I remember it was right around uh, December and it was, he was recording for three weeks worth of stuff. Cause they take some time off for the holidays. So they were switching people's chairs. They'd give us different hats to wear. They threw Christmas hats on us, new year's hats. I'm like, this is, I realized how much of uh, TV is a show as opposed to like podcast and, and, and a lot of the other content is just immediate. We're in the moment. We're not putting on this great big production. Uh, you've seen every iteration of like sports betting media now. Uh, you've been around for a long time. Do you like where the state of sports betting media is right now? Um, not No, no. I'll cut to the chase. No. Yes and no. Because in the same way I was just talking earlier, um, sports books, sports gambling is driving the industry right now. Let's just call it out for what it is. Imagine if you took away all these sports books and all the ads and all the revenue that is being driven into the business, uh, right now, but you know, it's more from, from a content standpoint, I find it harder and harder. It's like anything though. It's hard to find anything that is good out there right right whether it's from from an entertainment standpoint from a sports betting standpoint you have to look for it from you know from the mainstream perspective basically let's call it off from what it is right let's get the most popular person to promote our book and then you get into this content type of stuff and it's it's mostly just all fluff you've got a bunch of other people that are just cutting their their plays of the day and their videos of the day and stuff and it's just sort of they're reading a script essentially they're not living it that's the whole thing that people people want to know. Are you living it, right? Do you live this for better or worse? We do, right? Like I've never given a pick on the air. I'll never tell someone, oh, yeah, I, I like this, but if you know, I then I wouldn't bet it. I mean, hell, there's a lot of handicappers that don't bet, right? They're selling their picks, but they're not really even betting. So I'm pretty good. You can't hustle a hustler. So I can see who's real and who is not. And let's be real, um, yeah. About 80% of this market right now. It's a lot like the poker world now. Remember years ago, there was like a poker rush and every jackass and sleazeball in the world was involved in poker this and poker that and poker this and poker that. Well, this is where we're at with sports betting right now. They'll move on to something else in a couple of years and it'll sort of the, 
things will even out a little bit, but it's not the best era that we're in right now. And sports fans have never been stupider either. It's, it's, it's a scary time because right now the market is oversaturated and the market is also growing so fast as far as new betters coming into the world and they could get led astray by following the wrong people. So there's a little bit of danger there. You do, but there is no really right. Like they're going to get fallen astray, but it's up to, they can get fallen astray on the stock market as well. Right. I mean, one thing I'll, I'll say though, about the now there's so many people betting, right? I mean, now I think it's up to 35 States or so it's 35 now coming, whatever, give or take. So now line moves don't mean as much. You know what I mean? Like people talking about line moving this, like, what, what do you mean line move? You, you literally have like 78 million Americans betting right now on an app. Do you think because the number's going, because all oh, the sharps did this or the squares did that, right? So now it's almost just like a Powerball lottery, man. It's like, whatever, dude, throw your ticket in here. I think that the smart, the real bettors um, are betting early now before the public sort of bastardizes this market. Because there's just so much money being thrown into the pot right now that a sharp guy's bet can get not noticed. Yeah, I mean, it it depends on the market, right? Like, if it's NFL and it's big enough. But, like, let's give an example. The NFL draft, which isn't a very liquid market. Uh, Will Levis, a guy posts on Reddit that he knows Will Levis and he was told he was going first overall. And the market steams Will Levis first overall pick. Like, he becomes the number two favorite behind Bryce Young. The guy doesn't go until the second well, round, right? So, like, there's an example of the, an the NFL, the NFL draft and all drafts, but the NFL because the NBA is a little bit different. There's only two rounds, so it's not this big body of work. It's it's more, it's 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 obvious. But the NFL draft is actually the best thing to bet on. Yeah, yeah. Like it is the best thing to bet on, and it is true. It's amazing to me how much faith that the sports books will put in some media report or somebody on Reddit, as you stated, but so do people. People, ran, everyone ran and bet that. We all knew that wasn't going to happen. Will Levis was going to be the top damn pick uh, in the draft. That's my favorite thing to bet on, actually. I love betting on, I kill drafts, and also XFLs, USFLs, the TBT, like the basketball tournament on ESPN every year when yeah. they play for the million dollars. Yeah. We crush the FIBA World Cup. Events in which the odds makers don't really know. Yeah, there's like just they, not, they don't there's know. not enough smart money, and it, it, it's not enough of a liquid market. Listen, the NFL, you know, they got billions being wagered on it. They can figure out pretty quickly what the line needs to be. Uh, a, a niche market or well, a, the computer a WNBA, yes. <laughs> a w, a WNBA uh, you know, they're, they're, they're often inefficient markets, and you can take advantage of them. I actually want to talk to you because you, like, bet everything, like, you're you're an animal. I don't know how you're giving out uh, picks on eight different sports and five six picks uh, a day. What what are your what are your favorite sports to bet? That's a that's a good, interesting. You know, my favorite sports to bet from a profitable standpoint are the the USFLs, the XFLs, the startup leagues. The CFL is not a startup league, and the CFL is an erratic. It can be tricky at times, so I can't compare the CFL to the USFL, but to put in context, like with the um, with the USFL, I did a pick. I promised people before the season started. I said, I will beat this league. I promise you. I did. I, I gave a pick for every game, all right? 
it's not easy. Like a lot of people will just sort of handpick and this and that. Sure. Dude, we went like 35 and 18. All right. Then it was like, okay, XFL is coming up. Let's go. Let's get into the, the XFL. Boom. We went like 35 and 21. And it was funny because for all the people, oh, I don't bet those leagues. I don't bet those leagues. It's like, all right, we just went like 72 and 38 <laughs> over the summer in these two leagues. But I'm sure you're going to be up plus 40 units when the NFL season starts, right, guys? The hardest league. You know, when 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 Pinnacle's letting you take a quarter million dollar swipe at them on Sunday morning, they're pretty confident that they've got the market figured out and the line figured out. Exactly. Yeah, versus I'm telling you, I, I bet XFL too because I'm a wrestling fan and I got a little bit of it in me. Uh, lines were moving three points day of the day of the game. Like, no one had a clue. These markets weren't efficient. Um, but this is where your knowledge comes in. If you are, cause you know, I, I bet, and you can argue, I bet too many sports, yeah. right? Because you can't, you're never going to be on top of everything all the time, but I'm pretty good at admitting like a good example is I used to be really, really good at UFC. All right. And MMA. And one of the reasons why is I hosted a weekly MMA show on the fight network for years. I also hung out with fighters. I also had managers telling me information about their fighters. I also mm. knew when somebody was high on Coke, when somebody needed Coke, when somebody lost their girlfriend, when somebody did this and somebody did that. I knew everything about everything. I don't now. I don't now. So I'll fully admit. People ask me, Rancy, what do you think about this? And I fully tell them, listen, dude, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not in tune. Now I'm like everybody else. I have no idea if this guy's happy, sad. I don't know how his camp really went. I don't know if he's got a torn tendon in his knee and nobody knows about it. And I used to know that stuff. Now you're finding out uh, a week after the fight, like everybody else you're, you're learning. Well, no, now oh. I know though, I don't go crazy. I'll recreationally bet it. Right. So yeah. I'm not going to go crazy uh, with it. NFL football. I do very well with, right. It's one of those leagues that I'm generally in a 60% zone. As you stated last year, we, we started the season 14 to one. We were part of a team that won uh, finished in second place in the quarterly contest. How much did you win for that quarterly contest? And was it the Circa Million quarterly? No, contest? it was the, uh, the it was the Superbook one. So it wasn't as much. It was, um, it's like 23,000, I think. 22, and what, what, con what contest do you play? Do you play just Superbook or do you do Circa Million, Circa Survivor? Because I know you love, I know you like the contest. I think you flew out to Vegas to sign up before the season started, right? Yeah. You know what? We're playing with their money. So, the year that the Broncos and the, the Panthers uh, played in the Super Bowl that year, I think it was 2017, we finished in eighth place. So as part of a group, we finished in eighth place in the Super Contest. And we won like 57000 56000 or so. And so we've been playing with their money since. And then last year we hit them again uh, for, uh, for the quarterly prize. So I'm almost obligated now, right? <laughs> I'm like, well... It's their money. I'm going to go back every year and I'm just going to give them the thousand dollars back and I'm going to try to come back and get more money. Except this year, I have full disclosure. Um, I was like a Vegas tourist or something. I got caught. Number one, there was a freaking flood and a monsoon when I, uh, the weekend that I went to Vegas, of course, right? It's, of course. So I got caught in it a couple of times, like twice, like literally, like I'm dumb, dumb, dumb walking down the street just this flash flood, like, boom. I'm like, oh, this is just great. Like shoes, everything. So by, I was at the circuit, I was on Fremont and I kept telling myself, yeah, I'm going to go over to the Superbook and enter that contest when it stops, like the monsoon stops. When the monsoon stops, 
And then finally, I was about 22 drinks deep. And I said, all right, I'll just go over to the circuit because I was on Fremont. <laughs> I'll, I'll enter. Uh, I'll figure that out. So I'm only in the circuit. I got off to a horrible start in week one. But but does it matter? It's a long season. It's like a real team. You can lose week one. We all rage about it after the game. But it's only one, only one, uh, one day. Absolutely. Uh, you don't mind. I want to do some rapid fire with you. Want to get some quick thoughts. Um, what is your all-time favorite sports moment as a fan? Favorite sports moment as a fan? Yeah. Not Toronto, as a Toronto Raptors is like ingrained. I'd say the Toronto Raptors winning the championship and uh, the Dodgers and the Oral Hershiser, Kirk Gibson, uh, beating the ace world series what's your all-time most painful sports moment as a fan being in the building and hosting the expos post game show and knowing it was the last ever it wasn't the end of the season it wasn't like oh like i can't believe we lost in the playoffs it was the team is leaving and it's over yeah. And I've lost loved ones and I'm going to put the Expos on that list. I got, it was just, it was terrible. One of those things you'll never forget. And that was definitely the worst sports moment of my life. Um, hosting the Expos post game show. And as I do it, watching them literally tear down, like boom, down came the fences. And it was just like, it was over and it was over. Is it hurting your heart while you're, while you're trying to broadcast, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, while we knew it was coming, right? But when it actually happened, I always thought they were going to go back. And look, I'm happy to wear, I'm, I'm wearing an Expo jersey right now, actually. A couple of years ago, it looked like potentially that whole Tampa thing would happen and stuff. But I'll tell you right now, and I'll, as a betting man, I'll, I promise you, there will be an NBA team in Montreal before anything else. And there will be an NBA team relatively soon. They have their Their next wave is coming up of uh, Vegas. It'll probably be Vegas and uh, Seattle. Seattle will be back, but there are silver's already met with Montreal like a bunch of times. So you heard it here. I'm telling you NBA to Montreal in a couple of years. You got to convince that billionaire in Toronto who wanted to buy the commanders for a lot less money. You can uh, buy an NBA and probably an MLB team for, instead of the 6 billion you would have had to dish out for the commanders. What is your all-time favorite sports moment as a better? Favorite sports moment as a better. You know, those contests have been fun, but honestly, ironically enough, when I was like uh when I was like 20 years old or so, no, nah, I was a little whatever, 22, I got in way over my head with some serious people. And um I had a twenty thousand dollar credit limit and I was down thirteen thousand. And I used to kick the tires and oh, here's this and that and I got the call, like it was like good cop, bad cop. I got the call from like the good cop who told me, he said, listen, we all know, you know, your situation here, but we need it. And there's like no exceptions. And basically, and I was screwed, bro. I mean, I had like $3,000 in my pocket. I was down 13. I had another seven credit. And I was like, well, I'm already screwed and dead anyways, as it is, whatever happens. So just put the 7,000 on this one game. Right. So I put the seven K on the game and I won. And I'll never forget after that being the insane person that I was, I flipped it all. And then I put 13,000 on Jerry Tarkanian when he left UNLV to coach the Fresno state Bulldogs. 
And one of those deals, a funny story, I was at a movie with my girlfriend at the time. And my basically like life was on the line, literally. And there was no cell phones in these days, guys. You don't know the score. You put the bat in. The only way you knew the score is you called us the freaking uh, the, the score phone hotline. So I'm at a movie with a girl. I went to the bathroom. I told her I got to go to the bathroom. I got up like six times during the, the movie, okay? <laughs> so, How many bathrooms? I was like, you yeah, so she comes out, sees me on the phone. She's on the phone. She's like, I fucking knew it. You're fucking, you son of a bitch. You're fucking talking. Grabs the phone. Fucking UNLV 40, <laughs> Fresno State 38. It's a score line. I told her, no, no, no. <laughs> I told her, listen, I got a lot of money on a basketball yeah. game, and I got to call this number to get the score. <laughs> I'm not and, cheating on and you. I won the game. I won the game. Here. I turned, I flipped it over. I went from owing $13,000 to these guys owing me like $3,000. They showed up. They gave me like $2,000 and they told me never call them again. True story. Uh, uh, I've seen a movie like that before. Mark Wahlberg, the gambler. I think I wouldn't advocate for what you did. I'm happy. No. I'm happy it turned out well. No, no, all you kids are telling you right now, bet. I ever get to hear all these people. Oh, oh you're going to get ripped off at this book or that book. Just get ripped off. Stay at those books. Do not bet on credit. You know, you know what I mean? If anybody asks me, what's your betting betting advice? Do not bet on credit. You lose your money, fine, man. You lose your money, fine. You know how many times, once, dude, I was thinking of the score. I met the guy behind the freaking score. I used to meet a bookie behind the score. I was literally, I owed the guy $3,200. I'll never forget. I'm walking down the street and I have an envelope with $3,200. And there was a fucking van. This nice, like, RV van type of deal. It said for sale, $3,000. And I looked over, I was like, I just fucking lost a fucking van. And I gave the guy the envelope. <laughs> I was like, here's a van, fuck. I had a buddy uh, once, he he live bet a team that was up massive. And and, and Gabe, like, he, he on credit, he live bets like 1,800 bucks to win 50 bucks. We, were, we happened to be watching a, a movie. The movie was excellent. At the end of the movie, I said to him, how, oh, man, that movie was wicked. He goes, I didn't see a thing. He goes... I made the dumbest decision of my life and I was box score watching this disaster bet that lost. I'm like, how bad did you need that $50, man? Well, everybody talks about bad beats and stuff. And I tell people, cause you lose a game by half a point or something weird happens. It's not a bad beat. It was just a bad bet. You were on the wrong side. I mean, that's that Super Bowl was a bad beat, but what really kills me. And I did this during the NBA playoffs and it really was one of those. It still bothers me. I was putting 250 a, a unit down. So I was basically betting in games, 250, 250, 250, 250, right? Like that was basically, I was like, all right, I'm betting 250 a unit here during like this NBA stuff. So I'm like 250, 250. I put a fucking extra zero on it. It was 2,500. And I didn't notice until there was like, if I would have looked two minutes later, I could have been, oh God, this sucks. And I just, okay, but you know what I mean? I can figure this out. And instead I look up at the end and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Why does my account have like, and then I look, I'm like, oh my God. And I was like six points short. And I was like, dude, it was one of those. And I was the Knicks. I was like, come on. I was like, I know this is improbable. I need you to score six points in a minute here, you motherfuckers. Right? Of course they didn't. And then I got all angry after. And I started, I was like, you know what? I'm getting this money back like now. And I had put like 2,000 on the next game coming up. And I lost. 
And I was like, oh man, I just went in like a $4,500 spiral because I clicked a one extra zero. You got to be kidding me. Yeah. And uh, I've been systematically getting it back. <laughs> you, you you tilted. That's more- a bad beat right there. That's a bad beat. One more question. Biggest screw job in the history of sports. I've given you three examples. If you have something that you can think of that's, that's different, but I chose Maradona's hand of God, something that you could go back and change in time. Maradona, Maradona's hand of God, the umpire Jim Joyce blowing Armando Galarraga's perfect game on the final out, and Lewis Hamilton's eighth world title being stolen from him. I'm thinking for me, actually, you want to talk about bad beats and, and worst things ever? I'll, I'll remember I was in Vegas. Timothy Bradley, Manny Pacquiao. Worst decision in the history of combat sports. They fought 12 rounds. Manny Pacquiao won fucking 10 of them. He won 10 of them. And he lost. Uh, there was, it was a draw. And they already, they, they already had the poster made up for the rematch. That might have been, I think to me, that was the biggest con screw job in the history of sport. Gabe, I'm going to fire off five teams to you. This is the last thing we're going to do today. You just tell me in the NFL, is this team a contender or a pretender, okay? L.A. Chargers. Pretenders. Jacksonville Jaguars. Pretenders. Cleveland Browns. (sighs) Contenders, reluctantly. Detroit Lions. Contenders. Miami Dolphins. Big time contenders. Dolphins might be the best team in the AFC. I love that. I love that. And and currently first place in the AFC East. It is one uh, week, but yes, I, yes. <laughs> I will take it. I will take it how I get it, brother. Uh, good luck to you this season. Thank you so much for doing this. I truly appreciate it. I grew up watching you um, in my formative days as a sports better, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Hey, well, you've had some great guests. You've been doing a great job. Uh, thanks for having me. I look forward to doing it again. Thanks for the time, bro. That's it for me. Another edition of 90 Degrees is in the books. I want to thank my guest, Gabe Morenzi, host at Sports Grid, legend in the sports betting media space, the sponsors of this podcast, Pinnacle and Betstamp, and my producer, Jason Cooper. Thanks for listening. Do me a favor before you go, like the content, subscribe, share, and comment. We'll be back next week with another guest on the 90 Degrees Podcast, where we give an inside look into the sports betting industry. That's it for me. Hope you enjoyed. Until next time.